ponder of something great. My lungs will fill and then deflate. They fill with fire, exhale desire. I know it's dire, my time today. I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought. Cause somebody stole my car radio and now I just sit in silence. Sometimes quiet is violent. I find it hard to hide it. My pride is no longer inside. It's on my sleeve. My skin will scream, reminding me of who I killed inside my dream. I hate this car that I'm driving. There's no hiding for me. I'm forced to deal with what I feel. There is no distraction to mask what is real. I can pull the steering wheel. I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought. Cause somebody stole my car radio and now I just sit in silence. of something terrifying because this time there's no sound to hide behind to find over the course of a human existence one thing consists of consistence and it's that we're all battling fear oh dear i don't know if we know why we're here oh my too deep please stop thinking i liked it better when my car had sound there are things we can do but from the things that work there are only two and from the two that we choose to do peace will win and fear will lose it is faith and this sleep we need to pick one please because faith is to be awake and to be awake is for us to think and for us to think is to be alive and I will try with every rhyme to come across like I am dying to let you know you need to try to think I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought Cause somebody stole my car radio and now I just sit in silence I have a question for you this morning that I'd love for you to ponder with me Why is it that we are so often scared of silence? Why is it that we are so often scared of silence? Forty seconds feels like a long time when it's quiet, doesn't it? <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder what you thought about. Why are we so often scared of silence? Now, maybe you disagree. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, nah, I'm not, I'm not scared of silence. And of course, that's possible. I won't reject the possibility that there could be some of you here today that are like, nope, I'm never scared of silence. But I don't wonder if maybe you're a little bit more like me. This question connects with you. I give you 40 seconds to think about it, and you're like, oh my goodness, I've never stopped to think about it because it's a weird question and nobody's asked me before, but I kind of am a little bit scared of the silence. 
And of course, part of the beauty of our individuality means that there's not one uniform answer to a question like this. But I think that 21 pilots, that's the video we just watched, I think they start to get at the heart of an answer to this question. Maybe you caught this line as we watched that video. I hate this car that I'm driving. There's no hiding for me. I'm forced to deal with what is real. There is no distraction to mask what is real. I mean, that's it, isn't it? I think we're often so scared of the silence because we don't like what we find there. Life is hard, and the quiet moments of silence are where we are most confronted by that truth. Silence is where we are forced to deal, as the song says, with the feelings that arise from our navigation of life's many challenges. The fear, the anxiety, the worry, the loneliness. And you know what? A lot of times it's just easier to say, nah, can't do it, and turn the radio up, right? Or keep scrolling. But what are we doing when we make that choice? What are the ripple effects of distracting ourselves from what is real? What are the costs of refusing to face the challenges that are in front of us, that confront us most in those moments of silence, few and far as they are between? And I get it. I really do. When my life is most difficult is when I am most tempted to just shove my fingers in my ears and go, no, 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 right? You just want to kind of stick your head in the sand and hope it all goes away. But you, you know this, right? You, you don't need me to tell you. Going that way, ignorance, right? Distraction, sticking your head in the sand, it doesn't ever make anything better. Often it just makes it far, far worse. I've come to believe that the way of distraction lies death, not life. It might feel good for a moment to refuse the silence, to distract ourselves out of a difficult spot. It might provide some very temporary relief to distract ourselves from the harsh realities of what we're facing. But that is all we get when we do that. Temporary relief, momentary, not lasting, momentary freedom, nothing more. And friends, more is required. More is required For all of human history, every culture throughout all time has been obsessed with the question of how do we obtain the good life? How do we obtain the good life? And yes, there have been a myriad of different ways that those cultures and time periods and whole human histories have defined what the good life is. But I think there are some threads of connectedness And virtually every sort of route that you would take to get to whatever version of the good life is right for you says that you can't just ignore hard things. You have to face the challenges and move through them. And by moving through the challenges, you get stronger. You get better. This is not just a a Christian sentiment. You can find this thread, I really believe, in a lot of different moments throughout human history. We've sort of all agreed, ignoring the hard things, distracting ourselves from the silence where we're most confronted by those hard things doesn't help. But I actually do think there is something that the Christian story offers here that is a bit unique. I think most people, everyone sort of agrees that you have to face life's challenges. You can't ignore them or run from them. 
But the uniqueness that I think the Christian story has to offer is this. When we walk the way of Jesus, we don't walk into life's challenges alone. We get God too. And what I've noticed in connecting these ideas is this. When it comes to silence, that's actually where God so often does his best work. God often chooses to meet us in our silence. God often chooses to meet us in our silence. I've seen this to be true in my own life, and I see this very clearly on the pages of Scripture. And one place where I think we see this on the pages of Scripture is in the Old Testament portion of our Bibles, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And in that chapter, in that portion of the book of 1 Kings, we encounter this narrative, the story, the life of a man named Elijah. Elijah. And Elijah was one of God's prophets. We've talked about God's prophets a lot this year. And it's not coincidental. Uh, We've talked about God's prophets a lot this year, different ones of them, Daniel. We've talked about uh, Isaiah. We're talking now about Elijah because God's prophets were his messengers. God would give his message and then he would commission them and command them to go and speak his message to his people. And folks, they lived hard lives. And right now we're living hard lives. And I get to choose what we talk about up here, so I keep coming back to the prophets. And as I thought about where I wanted to start this semester, I realized I wanted to anchor it in this very weird story of 1 Kings 19 with the prophet Elijah. It's strange. I'll warn you up front, but there's some beauty in the midst of this if you stick with me. Elijah lives a difficult life. A hard life. Not only were a lot of prophets asked to give God's message to God's people, many of them were actually commissioned and commanded by God to speak truth to power. That's not easy. But the power structures of the day, they would forget God. They would think that they got to where they are by way of their own strength, which they didn't. God put them there. So they would forget and they would wander away and God would choose men and women, prophets, to speak truth to power. And so he has Elijah speaking truth to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now a lot has gone wrong in the few decades since King David ruled over God's people. And King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they are running a systematic campaign It's not just like wandering away from worshiping God. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, the two most powerful people in the country, the entrenched power structures of the day are running a systematic campaign to get God's people to stop worshiping him so they can start worshiping a nothing idol named Baal. It's a systematic campaign. They're tearing down Yahweh's altars, God's altars. They're constructing uh, altars to Baal. They are killing prophets and religious leaders that had sworn allegiance to the one true God, Yahweh. This is a systematic campaign. And that might seem primitive and ancient to us, right? Like this sort of golden calf, this idea of a physical idol that we would bow down to. But are we really that prideful? We do the same exact thing. It's just that our version of idol worship, I think actually might even be more effective because it's so often subtle. So so yes, this seems primitive and ancient to us and it's hard to sort of wrap our minds around. 
But I, I do think we do the same thing, and I really do think there's things we can learn from this story. So let's enter back into it. So this is what's happening. Power structures of the day, King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, right? Turning God's people away from worship of him. And it's getting really bad. They are very close to just, it's done. We're no longer worshiping the God of the Bible. We're no longer worshiping Yahweh. We are worshiping Baal. They're super close. Elijah throws a Hail Mary, right? At last play of the game. If we, don't make, if we don't complete this, it's over. He throws a Hail Mary. This is 1 Kings 18. He challenges Baal's prophets to a showdown. Let's each construct a massive altar and call down, you call down Baal, I'll call down God, to burn up these altars with fire. It's 1 Kings 18. So there's more prophets on Baal's side because they've killed all of Yahweh's prophets. So he says, you go first. Y'all, Baal is nothing. So nothing happens. Like they're calling down fire from Baal. Baal's not a thing. It's not real. So nothing happens, right? And Elijah says to some servants, drench my altar. Drench my altar. Not once, not twice, three times. Drench it. It is soaked. One time calls on Yahweh, totally burns it up in flames. Hail Mary worked. Hail Mary worked. Now, this story is told in Sunday schools, and we'd stop right there. <laughs> and here's why we stop right there. This, this is the end of that story, okay? Here it is on the screen here. I've got the next slide, I know. I've got 1 Kings 18, verses 39 and 40. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground, and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. It's like, no, duh. The Baal prophets had been yelling for Baal to do something for hours. Nothing happens. Elijah's like, put some water on this thing. And then in one moment, it's just burned up in flames because God is real and Baal is not. So everyone's like, God's real. It's like, no, duh. Keep reading. Verse 40. You've already read it. You're like, holy cow. Okay. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. You see why we stopped there with the kiddos, right? Like, why did he do that? Sunday school teacher, right? And listen, I, like, you, you see why we stopped the story short, okay? I'm not going to beat around it. This is tough to read. I wish we had time to sort of enter in and explain what's happening here. A chosen prophet of God killing a bunch of people. But we don't have time. <laughs> we don't have time for that this morning. If this is upsetting to you or confusing to you, shoot me an email, we'll schedule a meeting, and we'll talk about it. We have to keep going, right? Because I actually want to talk about what happens in 1 Kings 19, but it's a continuous story. So you have to know what happened back in 1 Kings 18. All right, so we're going to keep moving. Take a look at what happens when Queen Jezebel finds out what went down. For some reason, she wasn't present at this showdown. She wasn't there. So Ahab brings her up to speed, and here is what she says to Elijah. She sends a message to him, 1 Kings 19.2. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them, the prophets. She's taking a death oath. The most powerful woman in the country is like, you've been a thorn in my side long enough. And now you've killed and humili you've humiliated and killed my prophets. You've brought many, many people that were worshiping Baal back to your God. This is a death oath. I'm finding you and I'm killing you. The 
The next verse reports that Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, which is a huge no-duh statement, you know? This is the most powerful woman in the entire country of Elijah, and she has just made it her life mission, her life mission to find and kill him. I mean, remember when I said that God's prophets lived challenging lives? I mean, I thought, like, 2020 was bad. Think, my 2020 has nothing on what Elijah's navigated here. Elijah knows that if Jezebel finds him, it won't just be him that she kills. It'll be everyone with him. So he leaves his servant behind for the man's safety, and he charts out to flee into the desert. And I don't think we have to imagine very much to guess that this probably was the most difficult moments. These were the most difficult moments of Elijah's life. I mean, enter in with me and try to imagine yourself as Elijah. Try to think about what he would have been thinking about. Try to feel what it is that he would have been feeling. Don't stay here in 2021 in Culbertson Auditorium. Use your brain, use your imagination to transport yourself Back a few thousand years and a few thousand miles away, you are Elijah. What's going on for you in this moment? When I do that, I think I would have ended up where he ended up, which is verse 4. Elijah went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I wonder if you might be able to relate to this impulse from Elijah. I mean, this isn't quite a suicidal thought, but it's right on the edge of that, isn't it? I mean, maybe you've experienced something similar to this in your own life. Elijah finds himself in this incredibly low and lonely moment and he has taken some rest under a solitary broom tree. Did you notice how the author made note that Elijah headed out alone into the wilderness, into the desert? Did, did you notice that the author made clear to, to show that he found some rest and refuge under what? A solitary broom tree. The author is driving home the point. Elijah feels alone. This is a unique tree, isn't it? I don't know if there were like fields of these at any place, but we know that wherever Elijah is, there's only one of them. He's in the desert, he's in the wilderness, lots of sun, and so he rests underneath a solitary broom tree. And you have to wonder if Elijah thought he was never going to leave. You have to wonder if Elijah thought this was going to be the place where he would die, isolated, alone, scared. And the next few verses in this story fascinate, fascinate me. Because God totally shocks me. He totally surprised me by what he does for Elijah. It's so great. You have to look at it later. 1 Kings 19 verses 5 through 7. God helps Elijah fall asleep. So this is, verse, this is 5 and 7, right? So verse 4 has already happened. He said, God killed me, right? God helps Elijah fall asleep. 
So he's like, dude, you kind of like just need a nap, man. So he helps him fall asleep. Then he sends an angel. I, I know, it's miraculous, right? He sends an angel with some snacks. <laughs> and so he wakes Elijah up, and there's just miraculously an angel with some snacks there. And God's like, dude, you need a nap and you need some snacks, man. You're just, it's like Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. So God, so God gives him a nap and some snacks. Y'all, it's not enough. He does it twice. He's like, no, you need another nap. So Elijah goes back to sleep, wakes up. There's more snacks. And, and like genuinely, sometimes when your life is hard, just eat some food and go to bed. What, like, did you know the Bible taught that? Okay, now don't do it in contemporary mathematics. Hey, Chaplain Paul told me that I need a nap, so um, that's like the pastor, and he speaks for God, so I'm gonna, it's like, Professor Kosick, if it's cool, I'm just gonna get my nap in right here. Like, it's 1 Kings 19, you can read it later. Don't do that, okay? But like, I genuinely think, have you felt this in your life? Things are horrible and hard, right? And you like eat something that's good for your body, and you sleep, and you wake up, and you're like, huh, it's a little better. Elijah, too. Elijah, too. And God knew. Twice. Read it. It's amazing. Twice. So you're not going to have strength for the journey if you don't eat again. So he eats again and then he goes on a journey. And God is not done with Elijah. It's not his time. There's more to do. And so God sends Elijah. He leads Elijah to continue to flee from Jezebel. His physical needs are taken care of right now in the sense that he's not hungry anymore and he got some good sleep, right? But his spiritually, he's still exhausted. Emotionally, he's still exhausted. And he needs more from God. And he's still fleeing Jezebel. So God sends him to Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, which is an incredibly important mountain. It is where Moses met God after they... He led the people out of Egypt and where God gave his people the Ten Commandments. I cannot emphasize enough how important this mountain was to the people of God. Time and time again, this is the Mount of God. Time and time again, this is where God would meet his people in their desperate moments of need. And once again, with Elijah, he does that. So Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights. That was, those were some good snacks to you know, sustain him for 40 days and 40 nights. And he shows up at Mount Horeb and he finds a cave. And he is in the cave and God says to him, why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here, Elijah? And I love the honesty of Elijah's response. Don't ever think you can't be honest with God. Don't ever think you can't be honest with God. Look what Elijah says. <laughs> I have zealously served you, the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Do you hear it? He heads out alone into the wilderness. He's under a solitary broom tree. God speaks to him and says, why are you here? What's going on? And he says, I'm alone. I'm alone. I've done everything you've asked me to do, and I'm alone. Listen, do you know this to be true as well? The hard things in your life, they feel like just a little bit more manageable if you don't have to do them alone. Isn't that true? It's like no matter how tough things are in your life, if you know you're not on that journey, as a solo mission, it's like, okay, okay, this is brutal, but I'm not alone. 
Friends, the secret good news is this. You don't ever have to be alone when you're navigating God, when you're navigating the challenges of life. You don't ever have to be alone. You don't. I understand, and I've been there, where it feels alone, where it feels like it's you against the world, where it feels like, right, I've been, I could have written 1 Kings 19.10, a version of it in my own words, God, I'm alone. I'm do, I thought I was doing what you were asking me to do, and why am I alone? It's the isolation that often is the hardest. You don't have to do it. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I mean, this is true for Elijah, right? It's true for Elijah. It's true for us. Take a look at how this story wraps up. Right after Elijah answers God with verse 10, this is what God says. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. The Lord was with Elijah. He made his presence manifest. Okay, but don't miss it. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. And it's like surely the fire, right? Because just like days earlier, a month earlier, God was in the fire. He rained down fire on the altar. So surely God's in the fire. And he's led his people out of Egypt, right? With a fire. Surely God is in the fire. God is light. Surely God's in the fire. No. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. After the fire, there was the sound of of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He knows God is in that whisper, and he knows he can't face God, so he wraps his face in the cloak, and he goes outside of the cave. He went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Friends, I love these verses. I think they are stunningly beautiful. God is God, y'all. He can do whatever he wants. He can manifest or not manifest his presence to us however he wants. There are no restrictions on God. God could have been in the windstorm that was so mighty it broke the rocks. God could have been in the earthquake that maybe was so big that it even made Elijah fall over. God could have been in the fire. He had been in the fire earlier than that, but he wasn't. He was in the whisper, the whisper, a gentle whisper. And I love this. Do you see why I started this morning's message where I did? God often chooses to meet us in our silence. God often chooses to meet us in our silence. Now here's a question for you. Stick with me on this for a moment. Do you think Elijah would have heard God's whisper if he had been scrolling on TikTok? Do you think Elijah would have heard God's whisper if he was endlessly swiping right on Twitter? 
That's not a thing. On Tinder, do you think Elijah would have heard God's whisper if he had just been turning the car radio up to avoid the silence because it was hard? Do you see the connection I'm making here? Do you think God would have heard Elijah's Do you think Elijah would have heard God's whisper if he had done those things, if he had distracted himself out of the silence? I don't know. I don't know. My great fear for me and for you is this. By distracting ourselves to avoid the silence, we accidentally avoid God. My great fear for me and for you is this. By distracting ourselves to avoid the silence, we accidentally avoid God. Maybe we don't consciously think that's what we're doing, but it is the direct effect of our choices. And when we avoid God, accidentally or on purpose, we avoid life itself. We avoid what we need more than anything else. I know it can be easy to say, oh, I just need to decompress. I just need to unwind. And I don't want to minimize either of those things, but then, like, two hours later when we're still scrolling Instagram, right? I mean, come on. What we really need, what you need more than anything else in your life, what you need is God himself, his sustaining presence, his guidance, his direction, his comfort, his healing, his protection, his salvation, and the good news, all of that and more is available in him, in God. And it is available not to a select few or not to the elite or not to one race but not another. That and more is available to anyone and everyone, and it is what everyone needs. God provides what you need. You just got to be silent long enough so you don't miss it. This is what happens for Elijah. God gave Elijah what he needs. He gave him himself. He was there with Elijah in that moment, and he gave him the answer he was looking for. God's response to to what happens here when, when he's in the whisper and Elijah goes to the edge of the cave, God says, you're not alone. In fact, go to this other town and there's a guy there that's named Elisha. I'm not kidding. Elijah, he says, go find Elisha and he, he's going to be your apprentice. You're going to have a teammate. You're going to have someone that's studying underneath you. And he says, more than Elisha, that's just a little confusing, right? Elijah, Elisha, more than Elisha, I'm giving you Elisha more than him. I have preserved for myself 7,000 people that have never once knelt down to Baal. You think you're alone, Elijah? You feel like you're alone? Not only do you have me, I'm here with you, and I'll give you Elisha. There's 7,000. You think you're alone. You can't even see what I'm doing. I am with you, and I am doing a work that you can't even begin to understand. You just need to take your right next step. And Elijah does. He leaves Mount Horeb. He goes to the town. He finds Elisha. That's the scene. Now, I wonder how that story hits you. And maybe you're frustrated by it. Maybe you're thinking, well, sure, it'd be easy to carry forward in my challenges if God appeared to me and spoke to me like that. Or maybe you've been thinking this whole time that you're scared of the silence because you're afraid that you'll quiet yourself to listen to God, but he won't show up. I mean, both of those are completely understandable reactions. 
And I do want to acknowledge the complex mystery of stories like this. Like, am I saying that if you right now, if you don't have an 11 o'clock class and you go back to your room and you turn your phone off or you set it to the side and you spend five minutes in silence, because that's what I said to do, am I saying that God is going to appear to you in an audible whisper that he's going to speak? Am I saying that? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I believe that that could happen, but I also believe that's probably not likely. What we have to acknowledge about stories like this in God's word is that they are miracles. They're miraculous. And miracles, by their very definition, are not common. They are uncommon. They are supernatural. They are mysterious. And here's the other piece of the puzzle that I think we often forget. I guarantee you this was not the first time that Elijah sought God's voice in the silence. In fact, this was very likely a multi-times-a-day practice for him that bound his whole life together. And so I think it's actually kind of ridiculous of us to not practice this of seeking God in silence. You know, we don't practice it. We do it one time for five minutes, and we don't hear anything, and we're like, well, I knew God wasn't real. Really? Like, shame on us, right? This was woven into the fabric of Elijah's life. Don't we do that? We try it once. It doesn't, nothing happens, and it's like, God's not real. And here's the final point. We so desperately want God to speak clearly to us. Don't we want that? More than anything, that's what I want in my life, is for God to speak clearly to me in consistent ways. Maybe you do too. Friends, God has never spoken more clearly than he did in his son, Jesus Christ. And listen, I have moments where I think it might be easier to follow God if he would do what he did in 1 Kings 18 and just send down fire from heaven right here into Culbertson Auditorium. It'd be hard to doubt that God is God if he rained down fire right now and burned up this stand, right? It would be hard to doubt God. But, but when, when it doesn't happen, right, that's not going to happen, right, God? When it doesn't happen, I get angry or I get bitter or I think, God, why aren't you making yourself clear? But then I have to remember this. God just didn't send down fire from heaven. God sent down his son from heaven. And listen, y'all, I've got three sons now, not two anymore. One, two, three. Here's a picture of Ethan, right? We just had him a month ago. Everybody go, ah. You have to go, ah. Everybody go, ah. Okay. I'm not sending him anywhere. You know what I mean? I'm not sending him anywhere. I'm certainly not sending him anywhere to die. But that's what God did for you in Christ Jesus. You don't need fire from heaven because you've got Jesus from heaven. God's never spoken more clearly than he has in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent from heaven, better than fire to save you from your sins and give you the life that you were created to live. And we actually have a good bit of what Jesus said. You want, you want to know God speaking clearly? Just open up to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read what Jesus said, and it is God speaking clearly to you, to your heart of hearts, to the deepest needs in your soul. And I know I'm over time. I'm so sorry. I hate that I'm over time. And I just want to close with this. I've combined... I've combined two things that Jesus said into one message that maybe your heart needs to hear as badly as my heart needs to hear it. And maybe you're quiet enough, silent enough right now in this moment to hear it. 
It's John 16, 33 and Matthew 28, 20. It says, God speaking clearly to you through Jesus. Are you quiet enough? Are you silent enough to hear this? In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I will be with you, always with you, even to the end of the age. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you that you are with us, that you are always with us, that you didn't just send down fire from heaven, but you sent down Jesus from heaven to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserved, and to rise again. Thank you that your son Jesus defeated death, and thank you that he makes a pathway for us to defeat death, Lord. By trusting in your son Jesus, we can enter into the new life that you have offered us. Thank you for each and every one of these students. Uh, Thank you that they are here with us, part of our Sterling College warrior family. Be with us, Lord. Make your presence manifest in our lives, and we pray that we would begin to navigate well together the challenges of this semester. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.